Here's the title of the message. Jesus is alive, active, and he continues his work today. Here we are, specifically in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 down to verse 8. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been to an eye doctor for an exam? I'm sure we all have, right? And we're sitting in a chair, and this is what happens. They have you look through all these different lenses, right? So they put this one lens in front of you and you're looking maybe at a letter and it's the letter E and it's like blurry. And then they go, okay, how about this lens, right? And then they go, how about this one? And then how about this one or this one, right? And they go back and forth. And through one lens, that E is really blurry. And then the next lens, it's looking more clear. And you're like, okay, that looks better. And then they go, well, how about this one? Oh, that looks even much better. That's fantastic. How about this one? Oh, I can see the E, fantastic. In fact, the font is really clear and the contrast and, you know, the darkness of the letter is fantastic. And once they find the right lens, right? Having just actually found the right focus from looking at like one letter, then they nail that right lens and that right lens enables you to see everything else a whole lot more clearly. Now, why did I begin this way? There's a reason why. Because there is a question asked by the followers of our Lord Jesus, our Jewish brethren 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, that is asked between the resurrection and when Jesus ascended to heaven, which means in this 40-day period between his resurrection and his ascension, that listen, if we see clearly, if we see this question clearly, and we have to see it clearly, if we see it clearly, it opens up to us what the meaning of this major transition is between Jesus's resurrection and ascension to Pentecost when the gospel is exploding in Jerusalem, intended to impact the entire world. Here's the catch. We have to see this question through the right lens. We have to see it through the right lens. When he asks in verse 6, or the disciples, check it out, it's up on the screen. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That question is monstrous and important. And listen, it may not resonate with you and I. We may think, what's the relevance of that? That sounds like something that belongs in history or belongs to another people. Listen, that's, that's huge. We, we, got, we got to understand. We got to see that clearly. I mean, if that's not like rocking our world, it needs to rock our world, but we have to see it through a right lens. And the right lens is a combination of both the immediate context culturally and the broader context of the Hebrew scriptures. That's the lens that we need to see it. And practically speaking, understanding the question through the lens that could be said of those who are actually asking this question. Like, okay, so what does that mean? Number one, it means this. Look, 120 followers of Jesus have followed him to Jerusalem. And here's what they're thinking. They believe he's the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. There's a promise in Scripture, a prophecy, that, uh, that David's throne would be established forever. And they believe the coming Messiah, a son of David, who would be the son, the Lord, watch this, is actually going to restore what we saw earlier in history foreshadowed under David's reign. But when he restores it, it's going to be like on steroids, man. Because when David was the anointed one... 
When he was the anointed one, David, the beloved of the Lord, you had Israel united. You had Jerusalem as the epicenter of the worship of the true and living God. And Israel at that time was prominent in a strong place among the nations. Please hear this. So those following Jesus, they're not from Oceanside, okay? I mean, they lived 2,000 years ago. They're from the northern part of Israel. They're from Galilee. I mean, when they asked this, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel yeah, I mean, are you going to unite us? Is the, the, is the epicenter going to be Jerusalem? Are we, is Israel going to be a prominent nation among the nations? Why? Well, actually, to bring God's glory and justice and wholeness to planet Earth. Like what Isaiah said, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant, speaking to Israel, to raise up the tribes of Israel? to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also go, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, the world, in other words, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And they're thinking, hey, listen, we believe in a God who created the entire universe. We believe that there's a plan from eternity past to eternity future. We believe that heaven is going to be integrated on planet earth, which is the beautiful thing. Justice, wholeness, righteousness. Can I hear a big amen to that? We believe it. And that's why we're following you, Jesus. And actually, we believe that you are the Messiah. My goodness, you raise people from the dead. You walk on the water. You have command over nature. You forgive sins. It's like, I mean, there's not a greater king than you, all right? And so, and they're thinking that actually, as Israel's going to be like lifted high, prominent in the Messiah, that one day, as Zechariah 14, 16 says, it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king of the Lord of hosts, and keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which starts tonight, by the way. So like, what are you talking? Oh, that one day that you're talking about the son of David, who is the Lord on planet earth, Israel in a prominent position among the nations, and that the nations of the world are coming to Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the king, worshiping the son, celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles, which actually speaks of the fact that God is faithful, that he's dwelt among us in history, that he dwelt among us in his son, and that one day on planet Earth, he dwells among planet Earth, but on monster steroids. I love that, right? That's how they're seeing it. That's the, and then they're saying, well, okay, watch this. And then it's like, okay, Jesus is crucified, dashed their hopes, but he's now alive. And it's no wonder they're asking this question. Hey, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, after you've suffered the cross and bore our sins, and then you resurrected. And the Lord answers, in essence, so critical we get this. He answers in question, we just, uh, in essence, we just read it, that, hey, the kingdom's going to materialize, you guys, but it's in the Father's perfect timing. But here's the plan. Here's the plan that's unfolding. This kingdom on planet Earth involves you receiving power to be my witnesses that will impact the entire world. So in other words, what I have begun to do and teach is going to continue to explode throughout the world through you, culminating ultimately in the return of the Lord Jesus. And this explains why in verse 4, he commands them not to depart from Jerusalem. 
You, you got to, wait, I want you in Jerusalem. That's the epicenter where God put his name, revealed himself, and ultimately everything is coming back from which the entire world will be blessed when the Messiah sits on the throne of David. I want you to wait there, and I want you to wait there for the promise of the Father. Why? Because, because what I'm calling you to is an impossible task on your own strength. It's an impossible task. You will need divine, supernatural strength. You will need the promise of the Father, which is the power of the Holy Spirit that gets really personal with you. Are you guys tracking with me so far? Watch it. This is like beautiful lens. Got to get the right lens to see this question. Look, I want to put up a lot of words here, okay? It's actually in your bulletin as well, but here's context. All right, just try to capture this. A lot being said, but the Lord strategically positioned 120 followers of Jesus in Jerusalem to receive a promise from the Father of power to fulfill God's purpose that unfolded on the Jewish feast of Pentecost to launch the plan to impact both Jerusalem and the entire world with the gospel culminating in the second coming of Jesus. That's context. That's right lens. And this power for God's plan would mean that the Lord gets really personal with the disciples 2,000 years ago as he does with us. You know, it's one thing to have Jesus by your side, which is incredible. And, and you know, Peter, James, and John, the rest, and when the Lord's talking about him, he's going to leave, they were like flipping out. Are you kidding me, Lord? But he ended up saying, it's actually an advantage that I go. It's an advantage that you go. I mean, what could be better than you could be right by our side with your hand on our shoulder? What could be better is actually the Spirit of God in you. And Jesus had said, he dwells with you, but he's going to be in you, John 14, 17. And then he said in John 16, we have it up on the screen, check this out. He says, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, well, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Wow, what's Jesus saying here? Let's just kind of say it this way. Like, God dwelt among us, tabernacled amongst us, in human form, in his son. We've seen the glory of the father in his son. It's like, that's, inc- that's off the charts. Why would it be an advantage that you go away? Oh, because actually the spirit of the son is going to indwell you. And so while he's not here in bodily form, he still does have a body. And the body are those who follow him and know him as Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, you will do greater things than I did. I mean, it's like the Lord dwelt among us in Jerusalem, in Israel. We've seen the glory of God, but now the glory of God is going to explode because Jesus has a body. He indwells those who know him, follow him, and has received him as Lord and Savior. And that's why it says in verse 1, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. It's only just begun. In fact, I was thinking about the title. I was thinking, Stephanie, should I call it It's Only Just Begun? Or he's on, you know, it's like there's a song like that. We're like, no, I gave it a different title. Okay, who really cares about that? Sorry, digression. Here's point number one, you guys. The power of the person of the Holy Spirit is essential to fulfill the purpose of your life found in God's plan. 
flat out bar none. And this means it's impossible actually to experience God's purposes for our life in our own strength. There's just no way. He's just saying, guys, wait in Jerusalem, okay? Jesus gave his life on the cross, suffered, bore the sin of the world, paid the debt of our sin, bridged the gap between God and man. Three days later, resurrected. Oh, their hope is alive. He's making himself known. Many infallible proofs, 40-day bodily resurrection. No Jew would ever buy into the fact Jesus is Messiah without being convinced of a bodily resurrection. Now wait, wait in Jerusalem because you need divine power. Look up here, church family, rise church family. Okay, hey, do we need divine power? You better believe it. It, Christianity is a supernatural reality. It's not some philosophy or just remapping the way your brain operates. You're talking about an experience with the true and living God in the most intimate way. You're talking about divine DNA. That's a flat out fact. It's not merely like, okay, let's try to model Jesus. He set us as a great example. Well, this is not a greater example than him. But what, what actually is being said here is you're talking about the life of Jesus in and through you. You're talking about the, the resurrected one. You're talking about the spirit of the living God indwelling us. We're talking about something supernatural. That is critical. We all buy into that. That type of mindset. Because that's what the early church's mindset was based on what Jesus taught. Look, one of the great Christian leaders of our time, and I remember reading books that he penned when I was a young believer. I should probably pick up a book of, about, on Francis Schaeffer because he's written fantastic books. Great intellectual, great thinker. He was asked the question, what is the greatest obstacle to the modern church? And his answer was fascinating, both in what he didn't say as well as what he did say. Because he didn't say that the greatest obstacle in the modern church are the isms in culture. He didn't say, you know what the problem is, man? The problem is what's outside of the church. The problem is, you know, relativism, make up the rules as you go, sensualism, you know, hedonism, atheism. He, he didn't underscore any of the isms. He said the greatest obstacle is actually ministry, he said, in the flesh. How do you like that term, flesh, right? Flesh. It's like, what does it mean, flesh? If you're here for the first time, you're thinking, it's one of the reasons I think Christians are crazy. They use such weird terms, flesh. You know, it's like, well, okay, flesh means general humanity, but actually we're talking about it meaning the total person that's living outside of God's purpose and power. So it's like living, it's like living, trying to live life outside of help, outside of ourselves, outside, we, we like we need help outside of ourselves, not trying to live generating our own strength. Schaefer said this, the real problem is the church of the Lord Jesus individually and corporately tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than of the spirit. He said, the central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not the circumstances surrounding them. Great perspective. Oh, that's, I, I'm convinced of that. Absolutely convinced of that. You know what that tells us? It tells us that all of us, therefore, should have as a great concern in every one of our lives, and I'll just personalize it, Lord, help me with this, 
great concern in Greg Denham's life is, man, that I would try to be a godly husband in my own strength. No, I need God's strength. That I would be a godly father, grandfather in my own strength. No, I need his strength. And I need his strength on the daily basis. I'm to be being filled with the Spirit. And that, and that I'm to be, you know, a brother in Christ to church, right, church family, and a pastor in my own strength. Like our, one of our greatest concerns should be that we are living our life in our own strength rather than the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that should be the, the concern of our church here in this beautiful beginning, which really began 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem as the Lord is continuing his work. At Rise Church, we don't want to operate in our own strength. I mean, we want to operate in the strength of the Holy Spirit. I mean, maybe let me illustrate. I, I know you probably got the point, and this is like majorly overemphasizing it, but could you imagine if someone said to you, hey, look, you, you, you have to go take on the heavyweight champion of the world in 11 days. You're like, what did you just say? The heavyweight champion. Are you meaning the heavyweight champion, like boxer champion of the world? Yeah, you must do it for your family's sake and your country's sake. In 11 days, you are taking on the heavyweight champion of the world in the boxing ring. Now, how many of you know none of us would survive after three seconds? I mean, could you raise your hand? Come on, let's all raise. Not even three seconds. It's like bing, and he's like dink, and we're down. Okay, we're not even going to get anything in. Okay, and I know this. And in fact, that idea frightens me. Okay, and what it does is it brings up the idea that I am totally inadequate in my own strength. And if the mission is to go 15 rounds with the heavyweight champion of the world and knock him out, no way. And these guys are so quick, they're, they're crazy. They're in better shape than ever before. Lightning speed. You wouldn't even know what hit you. You are done. Blackout, okay? No, but imagine someone says, okay, but in 10 days, you're going to get these golden gloves, these divine golden gloves that gives you the ability. Really, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Yeah, divine. From God, put them on. You're going to go the distance. Not only that, you're going to knock the heavyweight champion out in the 15th round, then you're like, oh, give me these gloves, right? In, in a similar way, kind of a dorky example, so sorry. But in a similar way, it's like the Lord is saying, I want you waiting in Jerusalem because I'm going to give you the golden gloves. Because the mission is impossible to explode the reality, the true and living God throughout the world, awaiting the second coming of Jesus. It speaks to us, Christianity is impossible without God's strength. Good news is, point number two, every follower of Jesus receives the Spirit of God. I mean, it, it, not just some believers. The, the moment that we place our faith and trust in the Lord, we receive divine DNA. The Spirit is not the possession of some special believers, but the promise and the presence in the lives of all believers. And in context, please look at verse 5. Jesus says, you would be baptized. Okay, what a great term. He says, for John truly baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The idea of being baptized is mul multiple. It, it's loaded. It means an immersion. It means a, a cleansing. It means a new beginning. In fact, the root word for baptize is bapto, which means to dip in Dye. So you have maybe a white cloth, dip it in blue dye, and there's this transformation that takes place. You pull it out, and you got this brand new identity that has gone, gone, gone through this transformation. 
How many of you believe, and let's clarify it further, but how many of you believe that you've been baptized? Just give me a general, like immersed. It just speaks of plenty, like in every way, just immersed with divine strength, actually, and blessing. Hey, write this down, you guys. Like, what does that look like? For one, it means Romans 8, verse 16, that the Spirit of God indwells every believer, giving us assurance. Write that word, assurance, down. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay? And that has happened. And every believer can testify, hey, I am confident I'm a king's kid. That's a divine transaction. Second thing is, write this down, Galatians 4, 6, that the spirit of the son indwells us and and it brings intimacy with the father where we cry out, Abba. So it's like assurance and Abba. Now the father, well, is our father in the most intimate way. We have the spirit of the son that indwells us. Number three is Acts chapter one, verse eight, that the spirit of God has come upon believers for godly actions. We have assurance, Abba, action, for divine mission. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, don't quench the spirit. It carries the idea, don't put the fire out. Think of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples at Pentecost. We'll get to in the weeks to come. Fire atop their heads. Okay, in contacts, fire 13 years prior was atop Mount Sinai as the Lord's giving the law to Israel The Lord is identifying the faithful remnant of Israel. All right, fire, presence, work in and through you. Don't put the fire out. We're we're conduits of his love and forgiveness. Okay, we need an outlet for our faith. Number four, hey, just talking about like the the sense of completion and thoroughness of being baptized by the Spirit Number four, the Spirit brings right alignment and healing to our life. Ephesians 4.30, grieve not the Spirit. All right, so he just, he's consistently bringing right alignment to our life. Baptize, love it. The question is, are we receptive to the Holy Spirit? The question is, do we rely on the Holy Spirit? And really, there's two extremes when we think of the work of the Spirit. Check this out. One extreme is there's the Holy Father, there's the Holy Son, and then there's the Holy Bible. And the Holy Bible was given to us by the Holy Spirit, but when he gave us the Holy Bible, he was like, I'm out of here because I've given you the Scriptures. I've given you, you know, God's ultimate roadmap for life. All right, so therefore, an extreme is, yeah, the Spirit gave us the Word of God, but he didn't give us himself. That's one extreme. The other extreme is that the Holy Spirit, we have the Bible, but the Holy Spirit didn't give us the Bible, and therefore the Scriptures have no real divine authority for our lives. Those are extremes. Here's the truth. We have the Spirit, the Lord has given us the Spirit, who has given us the Word, and He's given us the Spirit to give us the power to fulfill the Word of God. That's the right balance. So in other words, He's gotten really personal with us. We have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to do the word of God. And look, here's the thing. And this is point number three, you guys. Man, our default position in life, 
needs to be reliance, 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 reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's like what Spurgeon said, the great preacher in London many years ago. As I mentioned it before, getting up into the pulpit, he'd often say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's my strength. That's the source of gifting. And when I talk about a default position, here's what I mean. A true story. John Maxwell tells the story of he was coming in from this great trip and he's about ready to land in a smaller plane. And all of a sudden these crosswinds come and just, just throw the plane down and it bumps on the runway off balance in this really precarious thing. And the pilot just like, you know, throttles it or whatever the correct terminology, it takes off again. Of course, everybody in the plane is like, whoa, man, what just happened? That's, that's scary. And then, you know, you know, circled around and then land on the plane. And Maxwell ends up asking the pilot afterwards, he said, you know, when did you make the decision to put the plane back into the air? And the pilot responded, 15 years ago, I did. <laughs> yeah, I made that decision 15 years ago. In other words, it's just the, de- it's just the default position. So it's in my mind, I'm thinking that ever happens, full throttle, boom, get back up in the air and then find your way back to the runway. And as you can tell, I don't really know what I'm saying in terms of correct terminology about flying a plane, right? Okay, but here's the point. Man, default position when it comes to relying on the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? That's the big question. Number one, we have it up on the screen. You guys, it means... Reliance on the Holy Spirit means to be committed to a community of Jesus' followers. That's a flat-out fact. And here's why. Because the Spirit works in and through Christians. I mean, the the gifts of the Spirit, He gives a gift to believers for the benefit of other believers. And if you think about it, if the church has an enemy, which we do, but I don't want to speak on his behalf, and I don't want to pretend like I know all of his strategies, but I know there's spiritual warfare. I do know that. And it just seems to me that the conventional wisdom would be if there is an enemy of our life, one of his strategies would be to fragment and isolate us from other believers. Because if he can do that, he is actually, he's actually separating us from benefit of the work of the Spirit of God in our life through each other as believers. Are you guys tracking with me on that? That is flat out barn on reality. I mean, the point is we need each other. We're the counterculture to culture. Hey, this is a montage of scriptures that just emphasizes we got to be together, got to be together, got to be together. Just check this out. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, Jewish feast the Lord gave, celebrating the giving of the law fulfilled in, in Jerusalem, they were all with one accord in one place, 120 together. Now all who believed were together, together continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, our hope together. Let us consider one another. It means to think about other believers. Get outside of yourself. Stir up love, good works, exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the emphasis upon us and we And one, right? Critical. Reliance on the Holy Spirit, strength of the Holy Spirit for which we need. It just, we were made to have divine power outside of ourselves, must 
It involves being together as believers flat out. Good job for being here, by the way. And you know, the application I would just simply say is be consistent. Be consistent to gather with other believers. It's been figured, you know, there's 30 commands in Scripture impossible to be implemented without a person having a local church. So we need each other. Can I hear an amen to that? Hey, number two, guys, reliance on the Holy Spirit means that no matter what, embody love. Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, all of this is seen in the book of Acts. This is Acts 3. We have Peter and John in the temple. They see a man in pain and need. They simply take an interest in him. He's needing some money. They don't have money. And they say, silver and gold we don't have, but we have. What I have is, ah, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And, and he's raised up and he's healed. But look, back off a little bit. It all started with a look and a concern. It all started with others-orientedness. I'm, we're, we're house-sitting for our dear friends, and, um, I, and he's a believer. And I saw in his studies, that just go use my study. And he had all these sayings and, and, and many... In many of, I, I found a common word actually, and it was others, because it speaks of that's what love looks like, being others oriented. Hey, like if you're in a place you're wondering, what do I do and what is God's will for me? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord, and the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, if that's the first and second um, commandments, Jesus said, the greatest commandments of all. And in interpersonal relationships, it means don't be reactive, be patient, long-suffering, listen, be a a bridge builder, forgive, speak the truth uh, to heal. Hey, number three, reliance on the Holy Spirit means to call on the Lord in prayer. This is really important. You say, really, is that what it means to rely on the strength of the Spirit, absolutely. Hey, guys, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 4 because this is an event that takes place after, obviously, Pentecost, when you have this great demonstration of God's divine presence. And, and actually, what I just mentioned about the healing of this lame man, uh, this event kind of is taking place after this because you have religious leaders in Jerusalem who are attempting to silence our brothers and sisters 2,000 years ago. I want us to capture how they were thinking, how they looked to the Lord in prayer, how they were relying upon the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you look in verse 20 of chapter 4, it says, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they glorified God for what had been done. For this man was over 40 years old in whom the miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, They went to their own companions, reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ." Quoting Psalm 2, the great Davidic Psalm, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together to do whatever your hand, your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. Grant to your servants with all 
boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done to the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had, let's all say it together, prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. God help us. Hey, listen, we need to be bold. Bold in love, bold in truth, bold in making Jesus known, unashamed of the gospel. That means we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And you know, look, we have not because we ask not. Can I suggest that you pray today, Lord, I ask that you would fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit and that this season of my life, I would grow in boldness. Because if you're thinking, man, I could use some boldness, hey, we all could. The early church could. It just speaks of the fact that they were reliant on the Holy Spirit. Number four, you guys, reliance on the Holy Spirit means to be filled with the Spirit who actually testifies of the person of and work of the Lord Jesus. John 15, 26. In other words, the ministry of the Spirit Jesus said, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So it's like when we're filled with the spirit, the focus becomes who Jesus is, who we are in him, what the mission is. And, you know, this is a safeguard because sometimes we can find ourselves off on tangents when the Lord is wanting us to focus in upon the person and work of Jesus, who we are in him, and what the mission is. Sometimes as believers, we can find just, you know, often maybe an emphasis on a particular doctrine or specific teaching, and that ends up kind of like becoming the, the motto of our life when actually what and who their allegiance is and who our identity and what our identity is, is in Jesus. It's in him. So it's like, look, where do we see where Filled with the Spirit, the focus is Jesus in the book of Acts. Oh, the first sermon ever preached in Jerusalem. And we'll get to it in the weeks to come. You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't say, you men of Israel, hear these words. You know what? You guys, we got to do something with Rome. I mean, you know what? I mean, big government is really bad. You know, so no, it wasn't a political speech. It was all about the person and the work of Jesus. And the application could very well be, it's like, Lord, man, we're relying on your spirit. Would you just capture my heart afresh with who you are? It's like, just come front and center, be front and center in my life. You know, renew my mind with who you are and who I am in you. Can I hear an amen to that? Almost done, guys. Number five, reliance on the Holy Spirit means, hey, do what's right. Just do what's right. Trust that the Lord is at work in ways beyond what you can measure. I mean, that, that's really what it means to be reliant on the Spirit. The scriptures say, so they called them and commanded them not to speak. We just read this. Peter said in verse 19, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Actually, we didn't read it, but I'm reading here. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's in Acts chapter four there. In other words, Peter and the rest of them, we're going to do what's right. We're going to make Jesus known. He's going to trust you with the consequences. Another way of saying this is, you know, is, look, be encouraged for all the plans 
that God has for you, it does not depend on you. It's his work. So by faith, you know, obey, trust, and watch him work. In other words, like, step on the pedal of obedience, do what's right, honor him, just trust the work of the Spirit is taking place, not only in your life, but in the lives of those who are receiving the benefit of you walking by faith to God's glory. Hey, listen, how many of you think that, getting back to this question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You think that that's a relevant question for us to ask? I mean, it's definitely, I mean, I totally get it, right lens, through the lens of our first century Jewish brothers and sisters, Messiah, Davidic king, totally like, Lord, you're going to establish your kingdom on planet earth. Israel rise in its full potential on steroids to the nations. Messiah, impact the world. What a blessing that it would be. They're looking for it and they believe in it. But let me just ask, do you think, it's, do you think it would be an appropriate question for us to ask? Lord, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Or is it that, Our focus is to be on the rapture of the church, which is this great hope of the Lord coming and resurrecting bodies. Those who have preceded us, you know, there'll be this great, wonderful meeting in the air. There's a catching up and there's this metamorphosis that bodies are changed. And that's our hope. As if our hope is, hey, a great escape off planet Earth. A lot of people see the rapture as the great escape. I don't think that's the correct way we need to see it. We should see the rapture of the church as resurrection in preparation for the return of Jesus. When he returns and you have heaven and earth, like your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like, Lord, you made yourself known in history dwelt among the children of Israel. John 1 tells us you dwelt, tabernacled among us. One day, the nations of the world, as we mentioned earlier, will celebrate tabernacles majorly on steroids because you are talking about God dwelling in glory on earth in a monster way, impacting the entire world. And for us, therefore, to say, Lord, when are you going to restore your kingdom to Israel would be very appropriate because really that is our hope. Kind of hear a big amen to that. And in this way, you guys, hey, you know what? may sound a little weird, but it's so true. We're all from the future. And we need to live that way now. We're citizens of this kingdom. And we have the risen Christ indwelling us amidst a divine mission. I can't wait to continue our study through the book. I would just lastly say, look, church family, we're all in a new season in our life. I mean, see, life is made of seasons. And this is a beautiful season for all of us. And just take this by faith. Here we are. The Lord is with us. What does he want to say to us? You know, he has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's like, hey, look, Lord, we are dependent. We are reliant on the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you want to accomplish in and through our lives. Can I hear another big amen to that? Amen, amen. amen. Let's, let's pray, you guys, at this time.